Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello, and thanks for joining us. I'm Kelly Barner, owner of Buyer's Meeting Point and the host of Dial P for Procurement here on Supply Chain Now. Each week, my business history co-host, Scott Luton, and I travel back through time to bring you the best business stories, innovations, people, and surprising facts, some of which you have probably heard of before, and others of which are on the verge of being forgotten. If you enjoy our unique blend of storytelling and business history, Take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and share a review. That will help others find us. On February 20th, 2022, 40 drivers competed in the 2022 Daytona 500, the official start to the NASCAR season. With speeds approaching 200 miles an hour, they drove the 500 miles in close competition, vying for $25 million in prize money the largest purse in NASCAR. The race was completely sold out, with 100,000 fans expected to be in attendance and 5 million more watching from home. Now, you might not expect it, but I'm a huge NASCAR fan. There is nothing that compares to the fun of tailgating at the track, the roar of the engines, and the spectacle of the national anthem, invocation, the occasional driver fight, or two. In this week's episode, we are going to turn back the clock and mark the foundation of NASCAR, the governing body instrumental in turning stock car racing into one of the most popular spectator sports in history. On February 21, 1948, NASCAR, or the National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, was incorporated. With a headquarters in Daytona, Florida, NASCAR currently sanctions over 1,500 races per year. But their history is not quite the same as auto racing, which predates NASCAR's incorporation by about two decades. Stock car racing, as you may know, has its roots in prohibition. As bootleggers, the people who sold rather than made moonshine, found ways to outrun the police and revenue agents, even with a trunk full of white lightning. The fact that the cars were stock literally meant that they were off the factory floor, with only minor modifications for increased speed, improved handling, bigger trunk size, and maybe safety, but only as a secondary factor in those early days. While the end of Prohibition in 1933 was great news for, well, everyone, it wasn't all that great for the career path of those bootleggers. And while some continued running illicit, or in other words, untaxed moonshine, 
others took their passion for driving fast and turned it into a new career path. Most of the races were one-offs until about 1947. It was then that NASCAR was founded to bring order to the chaos that had become stock car racing. It was the brainchild of William Bill France Sr., a mechanic and repair shop owner. He had the idea of turning those one-off races into a formal series, not only to make it easier for drivers to make a career out of their need for speed, but also to address some other issues. Because stock car racing had been an informal sort of competition until then, the early days of the sport struggled with rules that were inconsistent between the tracks and race organizers that sometimes scammed participants out of their prize money. Now, even though the idea was starting to formalize, it wasn't called NASCAR yet. Back then, it was the National Championship Stock Car Circuit, or NCSCC. Bill France Sr. actually approached AAA, yes, the come change your tire on the side of the highway, AAA, but they declined, so France set off on his own. The 1947 season kicked off in January, yes, in Daytona, Florida. There were 40 races that season, and in December in Jacksonville, Florida, France presented driver Fonty Flock with $1,000 in prize money and a trophy. Almost right away, France started planning for the following season. The new series was originally going to be called the National Stock Car Racing Association, but a rival governing body had already taken that name. So mechanic Red Voigt suggested National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing. And thank goodness he did. I can't imagine cheering for the Enscra. NASCAR is so much catchier. NASCAR originally planned for three divisions, Modified, Roadster, and Strictly Stock. The Roadster division failed to attract fans almost immediately and they gave up on it. But the Modified and Strictly Stock divisions are still in operation today, even though those cars on the track in Daytona actually bear very little resemblance to the cars the rest of us drive on the road. Now we know that NASCAR is primarily a governing body. So what do they regulate? Well, how the cars look for starters. Each car has to display its number on both side doors and on the roof. The front of the car and the bottom of the rear bumper have to match the decal specifications of the car manufacturer. As of right now, there are three manufacturers in NASCAR, Ford, Chevrolet, and Toyota. Dodge used to be one of the manufacturers, but they left the sport in 2012. Each car also has to display about 30 NASCAR sponsor decals in specific locations. These decals represent series sponsors as well as the bonus money teams are eligible to earn during a race. But there is a carve out to omit them in the event that if they conflict with a team's sponsors or moral beliefs. The series sponsors logo, such as Xfinity or Camping World, is displayed at the top of each windshield. NASCAR requires that the right and left side doors of the car have the same color palette, while the back and front of the car can be different, and they reserve the right to approve every single design. NASCAR also assigns all car numbers. When a driver moves from one team to another, usually the team owner retains the number and reassigns it to a new driver. Numbers range from zero or double zero to 99, 
and no two drivers can have the same number in a single race. Technically, zero and double zero would be considered two different numbers even though they have the same mathematical value. Now you might be surprised to learn that only one number has been retired in the history of NASCAR. And no, it is not the number three. The number 61 in the Whalen Modified Tour was retired in memory of Richie Evans, who was killed at Martinsville Speedway practicing for the final race of the 1985 season. But what about the Intimidators number? Dale Earnhardt's number three has been ceremonially or unofficially retired since his death during the Daytona 500 in 2001. Since then, only members of the Earnhardt family or the Childress family, the owners of the team that Dale Earnhardt drove for, have run cars with a number three on them. NASCAR also governs who can sponsor race teams. For instance, until 2004, only beer was allowed as a sponsor, not liquor. That has since changed, however, cars carrying liquor sponsorships also have to display safe consumption messages. Now as an aside, it seems a bit ironic if you ask me to require safety messages of liquor but not beer. I've been to my fair share of NASCAR tracks and races, and let me tell you something, no one is drinking scotch up in the stands. So NASCAR also regulates flags up from the control tower, driver changes during a race, starting and qualifying rules, and practice sessions. But maybe more interestingly, they govern penalties, both what qualifies as a penalty and also what the consequence is. Here are a few examples. If you pit while pit road is closed or pit out of order, you have to restart the race at the end of the line. Speeding while entering pit road, having pit crew members jump over the wall too soon, and using more than two air wrenches during one pit stop will earn you a drive-through penalty, which means that the next time that driver goes around the track, they have to come down pit road, where the speed limit is a heck of a lot lower than 200 miles an hour. As you imagine, safety is a huge concern for NASCAR, and one of their rules was in play at Daytona. It involves the use of what they call restrictor plates. Restrictor plates limit the air allowed to flow into car engines, which effectively reduces their horsepower and slows them down. This takes potential speeds of 230 or 240 miles an hour and pulls them back to just under 200 miles an hour. Now that we've covered some serious examples of governance and rules, let's look at some strange but true NASCAR rules and violations from over the year. For instance, there is no rule that says a car has to be facing forward to receive service on pit lane. Backwards facing cars can still be serviced as long as all four tires fit inside the pit box. Now that said, it's hard enough to pull in and out of your pit box on pit lane without losing time. Nobody wants to have to do it from a position of being backwards. Here's another one for you. Have you ever enjoyed a Little Debbie snack cake? I'm thinking Star Crunch, maybe Cosmic Brownies? Well, the owners of Little Debbie are devoted Seventh-day Adventists, and they observe the Sabbath on Saturdays. Any NASCAR teams sponsored by Little Debbie are contractually obligated to either remove or cover up any Little Debbie logos or brands during Saturday races. Last but not least, for any Ricky Bobby fans out there, 
No, you cannot legally finish a race by crossing the finish line on foot. In fact, drivers are required to remain in their cars in the event of a crash or an engine failure until safety crews can arrive to the car. Unless, of course, the car is on fire, then they can get out. Usually, drivers will put down their window net as a signal to officials and fans that they are okay. And let me tell you, there is nothing worse than a bad crash if that net doesn't move right away. All of those stands fall silent. Now, all of this running across the finish line might sound like movie silliness, but it actually happened in real life. In 2009, Carl Edwards, the driver of the 99 car, was hit by another driver and went airborne, ending his day. Since it happened right at the end of the race and the winner had been determined at that point, and he was on the track at Talladega, not Talladega Nights, but still Talladega, he got out of the car and sprinted over the finish line on foot, just like Will Ferrell did in the movie. Now, it may not have counted for anything, but the fans absolutely loved it, me included. In order to qualify as a finish, both the car and driver inside it have to completely cross the finish line. If there's a crash, they can cross the line backwards, sideways, or upside down, but they have to cross completely and the driver still has to be inside the car. As we wrap, I'll share one more interesting rules change about this year's Daytona 500. Usually, the winning driver loses his car and it goes into the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a year. But this year, because of limited inventory of the newest design, that won't happen. Instead, a replica of the winning car will go into the Hall of Fame. It would seem that even NASCAR isn't immune from inventory issues in 2022. On that note, it is time to wrap up this edition of This Week in Business History. Thank you so much for tuning into the show each week. Don't forget to check out the wide variety of industry thought leadership available at supplychainnow.com. As a friendly reminder, you can find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from, and be sure to tell us what you think. We would love to earn your review, and we encourage you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Kelly Barner wishing you all nothing but the best. We'll see you here next time on This Week in Business History.